Connie and I went to see a movie called Hidden Figures. Have you seen this movie? It's awesome. It's really awesome. Let me go ahead and just tell you the plot and the ending and save you the eight bucks. But <laughs> here's what happens. This, this movie is, is uh, based on a book that Margot uh, Shetterly wrote that uh, about three African-American women in 1961, brilliant women who each had a different uh, level of brilliance and different things. Uh, Dorothy Vaughn and Mary Jackson and I forgot, and, uh, and Katherine Johnson, who is the central character in the movie. But this story in 1961, Katherine Johnson especially plays, is, is still alive today. She's 97 years old and she is a brilliant analytical geometrist. And she was brilliant from the time she was a little girl. She, at six years old, she understood geometry in a way that not even her teachers knew how to respond to. And she could see beyond the numbers. She could see the numbers and then beyond the numbers and what was behind them. And she grew up in the, and they edu they, she went through the best educational processes she could. Uh, grew up and she and these two other ladies ended up working for NASA in the early 60s. And if you, some of you, you've either read about it or you, some of you may remember that in the 1960s we were in this incredible race to get to the moon first. And we wanted to beat the pesky Russians to the moon. Aren't you glad all that's behind us? Uh, but, the, but the Russians had got a man in space and we had not yet gotten anybody in space. And so they were trying to figure out how to do that. And it's where Katherine Johnson comes into play in the movie. And, and let me just cut to the chase and tell you what happens. And, and so this was a time, as you know or have read about, that as difficult as our relationships are across social and racial lines today, it was even more difficult in those days. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement. And there were so many biases in our culture, in our country, in our minds, even in our churches, that these women had a hard time making any kind of significant impact on the roles they were in. They were called computers because this was before the days where they actually had computers. And so uh, human beings were the computers and so they would do these calculations. And so you get to the, Katherine Johnson who has, who has elevated as far as she can go in, in uh, doing this an analysis for NASA, comes down to this uh, place where they're just about ready for John Glenn to get into Friendship 7 and to be shot up into space. And there was this critical point in his, in his journey into orbit around the earth called the go, no go option. And it was, if it was no go, uh, then he had to, uh, then they couldn't do the launch because what would happen was they would not be able to get him back safely. He would either hurtle out into space or he would burn up on re-entry. If it was go, it would be just at the right precise time. They had an IBM uh, machine, a 760 data processing machine that was a huge, filled up a whole room that they had just brought in just before uh, they went through this, this launch uh, plan. And the IBM machine cranked out on the day that John Glenn was going to launch, they, the IBM machine cranked out two different sets of numbers. And they were confused and everybody was saying, we can't go with, we got to decide which set of numbers we're going to use to get the right trajectory to get Colonel Glenn back, back to earth safely. 
And so he was, even as he was suiting up to go and, and uh, to go to be launched, he uh, turned to one of the people and said, go get that smart woman. Because he had watched Katherine Johnson work in real time. He had seen her sketch out numbers on a, on a chalkboard and, and, and come up with formulas that they, no one else could come up with. He said, go get that smart woman. Forget the IBM machine. Go get her and ask her to go through the numbers. And so frantically, she begins to work through reams of paper that had formulas and equations and numbers on them and calculating to get just the right trajectory. And then he's suiting up and he finally is headed to the launch pad. And as he's headed there, she finishes her, her math and she tells him, here are the numbers. And so they turn and, and they turn to John Glenn and say, we have the numbers, here they are. And so he, as he's just about to get into the cockpit of this, uh, he turns to the engineer and he says this, it's hard to trust something that you can't look in the eyes. It's hard to trust something you can't look in the eyes. Plot spoiler, Colonel Glenn did make it into orbit, went three times around the earth, came back down safely. We also made it to the moon. That's not a myth. That really happened, you know. I know some of you are still not sure, but it really did happen. So. In this story, though, I was fascinated by the story. I was fascinated by the drive and determination, particularly of these three women and what they had to deal with and what they were willing to do because they loved their country as much as any of the other white men who worked for NASA at the time. And these women really made things happen that would not have happened had they not persevered. But John Glenn was right, it's hard to trust something you can't look in the eyes. Which brings us to our story today because this is a story of exactly that same thing happening in the Bible. In John chapter three, there is a story of a man named Nicodemus. And maybe you've heard this story. If you've been around the church any amount of time at all, you probably have. It's, it's a well-known story. And I got into it and went deep as I could into it this week to try to understand because it sets up what we're getting ready to do up here pretty well because of the context of the gospel that it contains. And so I want to go through this story with you. And again, you know this story maybe, you've heard parts of it, but I'm going to read it pretty much in its entirety. And, and stop along the way and make a couple of points before we go to this wonderful time of baptism that we're going to have. And so let me just begin by reading from uh, the beginning of John chapter 3. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. Now let me just pause right there, because there's a couple of things here just in context that will be helpful for us to consider. One is that you got to understand that Nicodemus was a really big deal. Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, he was a leader, he was a ruler, he was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the highest religious authority in Israel. He had been through all kinds of education, every kind of education that a rabbi could go through, he had been through. He was a man who was revered and respected and considered high on the totem pole of people that lived in that community, in that world as they knew it at that time. But he was intrigued by Jesus. 
Because he had heard of the miracles, he had gone and seen, no doubt. It's, it's implied there that he had gone and seen him and maybe even heard him speak. And he was wondering about him, and so he goes under the cover of night. There's a lot of reasons he would have gone at night. One was maybe he was a, he was a little concerned about what his reputation would suffer if, if people saw him going and asking. He's a man that was the help. He wasn't supposed to go ask for help. And so maybe he would have been concerned about how they would have seen that. Or maybe it was just that was the only time Jesus could work him in, you know, to, to have the conversation with him. But, but Nicodemus does a couple of really interesting things in his opening statements to Jesus. The first thing he does is he calls him rabbi. Now, Jesus was a rabbi, but this is a man, Nicodemus, who has been through rabbinical training. Jesus has been through no rabbinical training. He's been, he has no degrees, he has, no, he has no, the, not the same qualifications that Nicodemus does, but, but Nicodemus calls him rabbi as a sign of respect, a show of respect, to, to say, almost like, okay, we're equals here. I'm coming to you as a peer. He also says, I know that you're a teacher, which is a big thing to say to him because that was a, an honor, again, that he was bestowing upon Jesus. Now, Jesus, if he, we don't know all that happened in this conversation. John is, is telling us this story. He's the only gospel writer who does. But Jesus, as you notice, doesn't respond to these wonderful words of affirmation that he says. Instead, Jesus just says to him, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't think he was being cynical or sarcastic here. I think he was taken aback by what Jesus said to him, and he was asking a legitimate question. How can anybody be born again? Even though he should have known the answer to this, but I don't think he's what he, it's what he expected to hear from Jesus. And so Jesus then says to him these words. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you? Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Are you the teacher? And you don't understand these things? Let me just tell you that this would be the best episode ever of Undercover Boss. <laughs> you know that show where the CEO of a company goes and, and, and uh, goes and hangs out and works with uh, lower level employees? in her company and, and she kind of watches how they do things and responds to them. At the end of the show, there's a big emotional uh, response where they get a car or a, or a scholarship or, or a promotion or something. You know, they get some big thing. This is, this is that scene. You know, Nicodemus has no idea, apparently. He knows he's talking to somebody who has some wisdom. But even the things that Jesus has just said to him has, have taken him so aback that he's looking at it and has no idea that he's sitting there talking to the boss 
right now. He's talking to the real boss. He's talking to the ultimate boss. He's talking to the boss of the boss. He's talking to the boss of the whole universe. He's talking to your boss. He's talking to my boss. He's talking to everybody's boss right here. He has no idea. He thinks he's doing him a favor by talking to him as a peer, but he's talking to the boss. And Jesus is taking him to task a little bit here and saying, wait a minute, you're a teacher of Israel. You've been through rabbinical training. You should know this. Ezekiel 36 and 37, this is all very clearly taught. You learned this in school. You just forgot. It was on the exam. And you must have passed it or you wouldn't be sitting here tonight with me. But you've forgotten that in Ezekiel 36 and 37 that the wind that's going to blow is going to blow life into bones that are dead and laying in the desert. And the Spirit is going to move and change hearts that have turned to stone into hearts of flesh. You learned this. You've forgotten this. And you're asking the wrong questions here. The other thing that happens is something really unique happens in, the, in what Jesus does with his language in talking to Nicodemus. He's not being harsh with him, but he is being instructional with him. And what happens is the language starts single, singular pronoun to singular pronoun. Jesus as an individual, Nicodemus as an individual, having a conversation, Nicodemus is using first person. Jesus is responding in first person. But then when Jesus gets to verse seven and eight, he changes the pronouns. Martin Luther said that the marrow of the gospel lies in the pronouns. Because Jesus turns the pronouns and when he says, you must be born again, he's saying, you, like Joel likes to say, all you all. It's not just you, Nicodemus, need to be born again, but all of you all need to be born again. And, he, and he, that meant all of the Sanhedrin, all of the Pharisees, which would have been a shock to those men. You must be born again. All of you, the whole world eventually he's going to get to, must be born again if you are to see the kingdom of God. He also changes his own pronoun and begins to refer to himself not just as an individual Jesus teacher rabbi who's talking to Nicodemus. He's saying we, meaning we, the Trinity, the triune God is speaking to you. And so he goes on to say this, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is forecasting Two things here, he's forecasting a cross, which is what the, sermon, what, the, what the serpent lifted up in the wilderness was forecasting. He's also setting up and giving context to the greatest summary of the gospel found in the entire Bible, and he gives it first to Nicodemus. And he says these words that you would know 
you would know whether you're here and you've been a Christian for decades or you just walked in off the street today and have never heard it, you've heard these words, I'm almost sure. Because here's what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This would have been a radical thing for Nicodemus to hear. The world the whole world, not just the Jews, not just the Sanhedrin, not just the Pharisees, but everyone, everyone would be called by this gospel. For whoever believes in him is, is whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God profound words that he says to Nicodemus. And then the scene closes. The scene is over at that point. And we don't know for a little while what happens to Nicodemus. How did Nicodemus hear this? How did he respond? What did he do? Well, you have to read on. We don't have time to read the whole Gospel of John, but it would be good for you to hear it. But later on in John chapter 7, when Jesus is on trial, there is a member of the Sanhedrin who lifts his voice and says, this doesn't seem like a fair trial. That voice was Nicodemus. And so something was happening to his heart or had already happened to his heart that he was willing to again risk, this time in broad daylight, to risk his reputation because he had looked into the eyes of someone he could trust. He had seen the kingdom in a person with his own eyes. But then there's the most poignant part of this story is at the end of John. In John 19, there's a scene where Jesus is on the cross and everyone scattered, just his mother and John himself are left there. And he tells the story of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. And then John drops this in. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus, 
by night. Here he was in broad daylight, helping Joseph take Jesus down off the cross and carrying him to a grave that Joseph owned. And he brought 75 pounds of myrrh to wrap around that body, not just as a symbol of respect, but of deep affection. Gospel had gripped him. And I don't know whether it was along the way that this change happened in Nicodemus or if it was seeing Jesus on the cross and recalling a conversation that he had had with him sometime earlier that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I don't know, but it happened. But you know what this story reminds us of is that the gospel is something that speaks for itself. It's compelling. And not only was that conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus for Nicodemus, but I believe that Jesus knew that this day you, you, you would hear the gospel. And that it would be as relevant for you today as it was for him then. And so what will you do? What will you do with the gospel? What will you do with the good news? What will you do because you're able to look into the eyes of the one you can trust, Jesus Christ himself? That's between you and God. Last weekend, we had an amazing service here where we had a salvation call. And so many people responded. It was amazing. It was wonderful. Thanks be to God for that. But the gospel calls every day, every moment, all the time. And it calls us not only to the truth of the bad news, it, the gospel calls us to the good news. And today we're going to see that good news in real time right before our eyes. Because if you go back to verse 21 of John chapter 3, the reason the scene ends somewhat abruptly is that Jesus and his disciples had an appointment to keep. You know what that appointment was to do? It was to go watch people being baptized. That's the same appointment you have today to see people being baptized right before your eyes. You will see how the kingdom works in people's lives in real time. 